Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. I hope you are enjoying July. It is already so unbelievably hot. But have the AC. We are getting solar. The roofers are done. You'll you'll know as uh, <laughs> there will be some episodes coming up where I have roofers. Um, and actually, that reminds me, in this episode, there's a little bit of a knocking as well. I did my best to try to minimize it. But Kayla and I have upgraded our software. And so a lot of these little issues we'll be able to take care of in the future. But I record so far in advance that these episodes have not been recorded on the new software. So bear with us. We're always just trying to be better than we were yesterday. We're working toward it. So this episode that you're about to listen to seriously is really an incredible episode. It was a joy to edit and to listen back on our conversation and to laugh and to feel the dopamine and the joy of these two women and how amazing and wonderful and passionate they are. So I am so excited for you to meet Nikita and Asha, first of all. But also, they are survivors from the ICOC cult, which is the International Churches of Christ cult, which uh, there are some articles in the show notes to sort of guide you along with some of the things that we talk about. Fortunately for these women, they did not experience some of the trauma and the allegations in those articles, but we do talk about it. So it is mentioned in passing and in our conversation, but it is not in detail from a survivor's perspective, if that makes sense. So I just wanted to give a heads up because we talk about the allegations in the articles that are linked in the show notes, as well as religious trauma and domestic violence. And, you know, a lot of those sort of things that end up coming up when we start deconstructing and unpacking things. And uh, I just I think that this conversation is really interesting and really wonderful. And anti MLM comes into it in a really unexpected way. And I think you're going to enjoy it as well. And because we were talking about a really horrific non-denominational Christian-based cult, uh, you will experience spicy Roberta getting up on her soapbox and being upset with the way that Christianity is presented in our culture uh, and how it is the exact opposite of of the intention. Um, So if you are in a space where you are deconstructing and you are not ready to have these conversations come back later. Uh, But if you are in that space and you were like, yes, finally, let's talk about this. This is your episode. And I just wanted to give you a heads up before getting into this, because that is what we're going to be talking about. I also want to give a little update about the Patreon. Uh, We have a few new members. So I want to say welcome to Erica Bates, Shannon Heaney, and Micaiah. So excited to have you. We have um, a new Hunberta rolling out. It was RK's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Uh, and so we didn't have one this week, which is totally fine. Life is more important than content, right? We will have a new one coming up soon. But we did start working on this list that Dave Vaughn made. Good old Dave Vaughn. You know, I just he made a list 
of like all of the pyramid scheme sketches on like TV shows and movies and YouTube. It's incredible. And so we started going through those and just watching them live and reacting to them. So very funny. I posted a little clip of Michelle and I reacting to the bros versus pyramid scheme on TikTok and Instagram. If you are interested in looking at that, the much longer version is on the Patreon. I don't really have any other updates. Uh, It's too hot to do anything. (laughs) But like I said, the roofers have come and gone. The solar will be put on the house soon. The air conditioning will not be so expensive. And um, my poor dogs. (laughs) I feel so bad for my poor dogs. Jaja got completely shaved. So she is just like a, a, just a naked... (laughs) She's got hair on her head, a little bit of fluff on her feet, and this fluffy curly tail, but she's totally shaved everywhere else. It's pretty cute. I should post some pictures. I don't know why I haven't. Anyway, I'm going to let you guys go because I'm rambling way too much. And I know you don't listen to this podcast for my, like, ridiculousness, but maybe some of you do. I don't know. Anyway, enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. You know, I I told you guys that we're going to be digging into really deep topics we're doing a deep one today. Uh, It's going to be tough. And this is a really big content warning because it's going to get into abuse and trafficking of children. So we're going to be talking about a cult that I'd never even heard of until these lovely women reached out and said, Hey, can we talk about ours? And I said, Oh my God. Yes. So I would like to welcome to the show, Nikita and Asha. How are you lovely women? (laughs) Doing great. Good. Yes. I, I've talked to you, Nikita. I've not talked to Asha, but I, you guys had a YouTube video. I, I watched a good portion of it and sort of just tried to get as much information. There's a really great Rolling Stone article that's out there that I will link. All of this stuff will be linked in the show notes if you want more information because we'll be referencing it. So if you feel a little lost, head to the show notes and, and there's a little bit of homework there for you if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just going to start. I'm going to hand it over to you and tell me about this horrific thing yes asha's looking at me yeah (laughs) Um, so we are here we are former members of the international churches of christ which is you know commonly known as the icoc asha and i were members for i think for me over a decade asha for you was it two decades yes two decades yeah oh my god 21 years actually were you born into it or did you choose this? <laughs> she just looks so, really young. I'm 42. I uh, became a member at 18. So yeah, October 26th was wow. when I got baptized right out of high school immediately started when I, you know, got to college. So okay. yeah. Well, let's start mm-hmm. with you then, Asha, since mm-hmm. then, since you were in a little bit longer, right? Mm-hmm. What what was the motivation? You're coming out of high school, you're going into college. How did ICOC catch your attention? Yeah, well, like a lot of people, no one, I heard this said previously, but no one joins a cult, right? No one actually joins, no one says I'm going to join a cult. We have our vulnerabilities. So I had a lot of them. <laughs> um, I was raised in a very emotionally unstable household. Me and Nikita have mentioned this before. We both have narcissistic parents, specifically mothers. I, as a child, definitely had this sense of wanting to belong, wanting to be accepted, wanted to be loved. There's a 
huge hole there. I have a great family outside of my household, but having this type of parent meant feeling pretty alienated, ostracized, never knowing what people really thought about me, right? Because (laughs) there's a lot of triangulation when it comes to narcissism. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of things being said about you. Um, You don't have your own voice whatsoever. I was very lucky that another family member, my uncle, was aware of this. He was the only one who could really see this. When I got to my senior year of of high school, he was like, hey, you need to come live with me and my family. We're going to help you get to college. We would like to see you make something of your life. And I don't think it's going to happen if you're here. But I felt that I couldn't do that. I have these younger siblings who I felt more like a parent toward. I'm eight, nine, and 10 years older than them. I didn't know how I would leave them. And he and his family couldn't take all of us, but he really believed that if he helped me, it would it would pay it forward for my siblings. Uh, he was like, this is what I can do. So some events happened at home and I said, I'm taking you up on this. Let me go. <laughs> and what I felt like at that moment was that God had answered so many prayers because I'd never thought that I could live in this peaceful environment, number one. I never thought that I would be accepted to college, which happened while I was there, that I would have this future. And, you know, my family was really just, they believed in God, but I just really didn't go to church. I didn't know anything about God, but I felt like I prayed a lot as a teenager. (laughs) And so I'm like, God is answering my prayers. And I had this feeling of wanting to pay him back. So that's where it first started. So I felt like I'm going to start looking for churches. I'm going to start going around. And then another family member was a member of this church who invited me out. And immediately there was this young campus presence. People are inviting me to their homes. They're making me food. They're so nice. So we've learned about the love bombing, right? There was this huge feeling of acceptance, of friendliness that I don't think I had experienced before. And so, yeah. (laughs) So you're my age. So Mm -hmm. this is like early 2000s when this is happening. Yeah. Well, 99 and then early 2000s. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And so I can imagine like Being from a family that isn't so loving and nurturing Mm. and giving and getting thrown into this environment that is, and you're like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Absolutely. I felt like it was a dream come true. It felt safe. Like one thing I never felt growing up was safe. Like I could relax. There's stuff inside of my home and outside of my home. The neighborhood I grew up in, tons of violence. I just never felt safe. I am very vulnerable. And this just felt like, this is what I want. I want to be like these people. (laughs) I want to be here. This feels good. So that is a big part of why I was so vulnerable. Nikita, how did you join? Was it similar? Like, how did you find and what year was it that you joined? So it's very, it's almost identical. And it's usually when we have to tell our stories that Asha says, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, you remind me of how, how far apart we are in age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I also got recruited when I was 18, um, my first semester in college, but it was the fall of 2007. Wow. So it's like eight years later, but almost exactly the same thing. Almost exactly yeah. the same. And we were in the same area. My college campus was maybe 20 minutes 
uh, mm-hmm. no traffic from hers, but it's the same chapter, if you will, the same location. So w- when we get together for our like campus ministry events, all of our schools were meeting together. But of course, by this time, Asha's in a new kind of section ministry. of the church, new ministry, if you will. I think she was helping the teenagers at that that time. We call it the teen ministry. So I didn't come to know her actually until we were both um, a group of us got together when we were thinking about leaving in 2020 for a, a book club to read a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's like we had mutual friends and I guess there were whispers going around. Of, of course, very secretive. Oh, oh, you seem safe. You seem like you have some of these rebellious thoughts. What would you consider joining our book club? But it's like these core members heavily vetting and observing people's comments and where they are and where they aren't and what they are posting and what they are liking and what they aren't liking on social media. And that's like, I think this person might be one of us. And so we both, without really knowing each other, become part of this book club, which then becomes a best friendship. Like we were even, our our group text was really jumping earlier this morning and um, similar spirits that you'll see even if you check out our YouTube series, why we would be drawn to each other, just kind of a liveliness and a fieriness. And that's how we became friends. But yeah, very similar. I grew up in almost nowhere, South Carolina. It's so funny when I when I got to college, I went to Hampton University and there are people from all over the country there and some major cities. And they would say, oh, you're so country. <laughs> I laugh now, but I said, no, it's not that country. We just got a Walmart. <laughs> But with that, you know, kind of not too much going on. So I come to college and I'm free from my mom and I want to make something of myself. But then I also want to feel like I belong. I also want to feel loved and accepted. And so now there's this group of people that reached out to me to come to these events. And I'm like, and they want to text me all the time and they want to give me rides places. And then they've introduced me to the married people in their fellowship who will let me do laundry at their house for free. And they'll they'll cook me a home cooked meal. And the older women are telling me they love me. And my own mom doesn't tell me that she loves me like this must be God's people here on earth, because look at how all the love oozes out that that's what they do to hook you. So that way, when they start to tear you to pieces and scrutinize everything you do, you don't see the red flags because clearly they just want what's best for me. They just love me. They just want me to be able to be righteous and holy. And you don't see like, no, they're robbing you of your autonomy and your power and your choice and your personality. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's really interesting to me that you guys were recruited eight years apart, but almost exactly the same. Like it's, it's like a cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's like that for everybody, (laughs) you know, some form or another, depending on what life stage you're in. What I learned and what's definitely true about this group is there is heavy focus on the campus ministry, which I am learning is highly diagnostic and specific of high control cult groups. It's the perfect demographic to recruit. You know, there are specifics about it. We're young, right? We're adults. We can make our own choices. So we don't need our parents' permission anymore. So when we start to face 
that backlash from family, we can say, no, thank you. But then at the same time, we're still not used to doing things on our own without getting permission from people. We're used to being under authority. So we are more easily moldable by this high control group. A lot of people in colleges are looking for something to change the world, to change their life. We're very idealistic. And so they come across very charismatic. God needs you. You're going to change the world. You're special. And it's kind of that place you're in already. And so, so many people, especially those recruited in the campus ministry, have a very similar cookie cutter story, you know, some vulnerability, the love bombing, the acceptance, and that slowly moves into giving over all of your autonomy for Jesus. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is so interesting because I've heard stories of like MLMs recruiting on college campuses and, and what you just said, like it hits everything. Yeah. Like you are an adult, but kind of not really. Yeah. And you can make your own decisions, but you probably shouldn't be. Yeah. And (laughs) there's this group of people that are like, we can help you make the hard decisions. We've all been there. We want what's best for you. We all love Jesus too. Mm. And it's just, it's a very interesting space to be. While you're telling me the story, I'm thinking back of like my freshman year on college campus. And walking around and being like, I don't know where anything is. I don't Mm -hmm. know anybody. I just hope maybe somebody's like, hey, you want to have lunch? You want to sit at our table? Mm -hmm. And to be encountered by a nefarious group that wants to harm you, but, you know, overtly is like very loving, but then covertly you find out. It's just, I probably would have fallen for it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think- The hard part of it is that so many people, especially I think the lower level Mm -hmm. members, which we may get into later, there's a whole hierarchy, but just kind of like the common member and then even the small group or Bible talk leaders really, really think that they are loving you. the way that God wants them to love you because of the way that they have been trained and the scriptures they have been shown and the way they've been taught to think about them. Like for instance, Mm -hmm. one, I think it's in Hebrews that no discipline feels pleasant at the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm telling you that the way you're acting makes you an enemy of God. And that if you choose this person that you are literally spitting in Jesus's face while he's on the cross, like these are things that are said to people, but I need you to understand this because wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, essentially meaning I can say these hurtful, rude things to you, but it's because I love you. But anyone else you would go to, your old pastor, your roommate, your best friend who's not a member, they don't care about your soul. So of course they're going to compliment you and tell you to do whatever you want to do, what feels good to you, but they don't really understand the standard of righteousness. And so I'm going to be the one to make sure that you are clear before God on the final days. Like there's really this reworking and Asha and I actually, and our next videos are going to be on how you kind of get conditioned and groomed to think this way through the Bible study indoctrination series. They don't call it indoctrination, but that's (laughs) what it is. And so they, they really think that Asha and I really think that, and we're very clear, especially in the first one or two videos we did in our series. Like if somebody else were to come out with their own series, 
they would probably have so many quotes from Asha and or myself of Mm -hmm. horrible, evil things that we've said to them. But we really believed that like, you know what, better for you to be upset or or feel offended by me here and now than for me to not tell you and you have to burn forever in hell. Like when you say it, when you're out of it, it sounds like you've absolutely lost your mind. Like it's crazy, but we honestly believed these things. And I do think there are so many well-meaning members in the organization. Like when I decided to leave, I found out that there was a woman in my small group who was sobbing. Mm -hmm. Her husband told my husband that she was sobbing as if I had died. Yeah. Wow. And that's what I was going to say. That's why (laughs) we were going to the same place. (laughs) Honestly, there are so many great people in this organization, but they Mm -hmm. truly believe this violent, harmful doctrine that is shoved down your throat. Like I said, me and Nikita, we were those people. We really believed it. Nikita talks about how someone was sobbing when she left. I was that person. I remember it's a friend I reconnected with who left back in 2005 and I was devastated. I just thought me and her have nothing in common anymore. I don't even know how to talk to her. And if I heard the life, the life of the world that she was living now, it would be too devastating. And so therefore I just had to cut myself off from her. And we all did it. It is not uncommon for someone to decide to leave and we never talk to them ever again. And we would never say, call it shunning. We like to blame them, right? And say, they just don't want to follow God. So we have nothing in common, but it is a form of shunning, isolating that person because you are so indoctrinated into this very narrow way of thinking. It is extremely narrow and you are constantly bombarded with this threat of hell. Do things the way we do them or your life is going to be miserable. Everything in your life is going to fall apart and you definitely will not see heaven. It's so meticulous the way that doctrine and that belief system gets in there and how it is stuck in your subconscious and you truly believe that it is all from a place of love. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's (laughs) talk about that because I've mentioned it many times. I was not raised religious. I was not raised in any sort of church, just sort of just like a, be a good person sort of belief system. So what are the core beliefs of the ICOC? Mm. Like what, what do they believe? What Bible are they reading? Like, Mm. is it like a doomsday? Like, what are we talking (laughs) about here? Yeah, you want me to where start? to begin? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Asha. <laughs> well, if you were to ask any ICOC member what they believe, they would say the Bible. The Bible. We believe the Bible. It's just that everybody else says they do and they don't really. <laughs> okay, but pause. <laughs> yeah. Is it sexy white Jesus's Bible or is it a different Bible? Oh no, they claim that it's Middle Eastern Jesus. And maybe <laughs> around 2010, the book Jesus through Middle Eastern Eyes came highly recommended. The values is very much American flag Jesus. Yeah. But yeah. Sexy white Jesus. Yes, sexy white Jesus is that Bible, but they claim to really break it down and interpret it and apply it. Our the difference between us, it very much is a typical evangelical doctrine. The evangelicals, when the whole deconstruction movement came out and I started seeing posts like from the naked pastor, and I was like, I relate to all of these things. That's when I realized we're just an evangelical movement, but strict. We 
say that we set ourselves apart because we hold each other accountable. The more I follow evangelical or ex-evangelical accounts, I see like, we're all the same. We're not special. I think the only thing that makes the ICOC more dangerous Mm -hmm. is that like First Baptist Church is not in constant communication with Mount Zion Baptist or what I don't know church names because I didn't grow up religious either like they don't have a network that binds them all together they have some similar beliefs but they're not in constant communication I think what makes the ICOC so dangerous is that there are so like is it hundreds of churches all around the world that share a common website that have conferences where they come together that they have these, again, the MLM structure, they have like several top key leaders where the tree branches out from them and they are in communication. And so when you have this communication, you're able to get systems, you're able to get policies, you're able to get really organized. And so now we're taking all of the icky things about the evangelical world, but we can refine them and we can make them look identical. And so it's a more well-oiled machine. And so I think that's really the only difference is that they've been able to get their stuff together. Mm -hmm. I looked it up. It was founded in 1979 and there are over 120,000 members in 144 countries across the world of the ICOC. Mm -hmm. That's massive. It is. Yeah. And so it's in 144 countries, but each country has, Mm -hmm. well, not every country, but many countries have multiple churches. Yeah. Definitely. Right. And is is the ICOC like church planting? Like if you get high enough in a church, can you open up your own church? Oh, definitely. Oh, they send you out. They send you out. And that's the pyramid scheme is where all these churches are now tithing, tithing, tithing back to the main Mm -hmm. church. Yeah. And Mm. so it's like the tiny trees that feed the big trees. And so, because Asha and I both were on the way to climbing the ranks, Mm -hmm. but we are introverts and also so many other things that make us undesirable for this leadership machine. So Mm -hmm. we got kind of cast aside (laughs) once we started realizing I can't keep up with this pace. When you're in these leaders meetings, they create what is called a discipling tree, which if you outline it is just a pyramid. And so for instance, at one point I'm on the top of my campus ministry discipling tree and discipling is their word for shepherding, guiding, mentoring, controlling. And so I may disciple three or four young women and they may lead each of the campuses and under them, they each have three or four and under them, so on and so forth. So we can kind of all report back. And so that's on a local level. And it's very much like a corporation where you have regional managers and state overseers, whatever. And so that's how the churches are done. So you have these group of evangelists who oversee the church, but then there's a head honcho who may oversee all of those evangelists for Southeastern Texas, for instance. Okay. And so where are you getting all of these people for your discipling tree? Are you going out as like a missionary and proselytizing and saying, Hey, join our group as, as this and join my disciple tree as one of my disciples. Is that your job? 
Oh, no. <laughs> Once, so there's evangelism where you help bring people into the organization. However, once they're all in the organization, the leaders get together and they analyze people's strengths, people's weaknesses, yeah. and they say, oh, <laughs> this person's really prideful and rebellious. They need someone strong like you, which mm -hmm. is basically, oh, they, they need someone who's going to be rude and controlling and, and not let them talk back yeah. and put them in their place. So they go on your discipling tree. Okay. The missionary type people, the evangelicals, they go out and they recruit. They That's sort of everybody wide net, right? Everybody goes out and recruits yes. and brings people in. Okay. Mm -hmm. One and, oh, and everyone's expected to do that. Okay, or you're not that. a true Christian or you're not a Christian. Got it. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first rule of Christianity. Bring yes. in more Christians. Yeah, um, it is evangelism. <laughs> wow. So you bring them in, they get to the church, they decide that they're going to be a member. And then, then they go through this sort of process of being watched and labeled and carded yeah. and filed how long yeah. does that process take so, until you die yeah forever Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. It's you are always like, under someone. So, I mean, you can be moved around. Like if you're really oh, difficult yes. and I'm under you because I'm so difficult yes. and you teach me how to not be difficult and now I'm no longer difficult, then I can maybe move under Asha because she has something to teach me that maybe I don't know now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if the powers that be agree, if they decide, oh, okay, you don't get to decide where you go. So they you're literally decide. just a brick in a pyramid scheme and they're yes. just moving bricks around so that the, the pyramid is load bearing properly. I will say that some members who are trying to be more progressive and some small groups that are trying to be more progressive 
will allow the members to have a say and voice their preference and say, like, I don't really get along with that person or I would prefer to stay with this person and not be moved and that it's more likely to be considered. But that's pretty that's pretty progressive. Yeah. And it's not the standard. It's not what is expected. So now that we sort of broke it down in the layman's terms, like when you're in there and this is happening to you, what does it actually feel like? Cause it's definitely not somebody being like, well, I'm just going to shuffle you off to Buffalo over here and then put you over here. Like, what does it feel like when you're being moved around? So that is that whole accountability piece. This is what ICOC feels like makes them special. We hold people accountable. So one of the scriptures that you are taught and is drilled into your mind is Matthew 28, go make disciples, you know, teaching them everything, baptizing them and teaching them everything I have commanded you is what Jesus told his disciples. We're taught that that's the greatest commandment, even though Jesus literally tells us what the greatest command is. And it's not that. And, <laughs> and we're saying that people. these are Jesus's dying words before he goes into heaven. So it's the most important thing he ever told us. So what that means is that those disciples went out and made disciples. And if they taught them everything, then we need to be doing what they did. Right. And so you feel like you are on the mission for God. You don't feel like you're in this pyramid being moved around. You are doing the Lord's work. This is what disciples do. We go out, we share, and we don't just share, we teach. What makes us different is that we continue to teach forever. So when you're in this discipling tree, it's a teaching tree. We're just holding each other accountable and constantly teaching each other until the day we die because you need help. No one can do this alone. People need to be in your life. You need to be confessing your sin and get correction. This is what this real sold out disciples do. So that's what it feels like. This is just our life now. This is what we do so we can make it to heaven. Oh, and also, if you don't agree with them or necessarily click with them, it is because God is using this season to humble you. Oh, yeah. And maybe you need to serve that person. Um, I've heard that before. If you don't necessarily, if like the leader kind of rubs you the wrong way, you should serve them, like make them a meal or fold their laundry. Um, No hard pass on that. Because you just, you need to be more compassionate and loving. And so anytime you don't like something, you need to check your heart and your motives. Are you humble to what God is doing in your life right now? And I really think that that comes from the fact that it's a high control group. Anytime anyone has a problem with something, I think it is their goal to see how, if they can break you, if they can talk you out of that. (laughs) if they can convince you to change your mind and to take on their ideas, because that is ultimately the goal. We're all pawns just being moved around by the people at the very top. That's just what it is. Yeah. I mean, each time you're like, that's the main goal. I'm like, that's recruiting. Yeah. That's that's still recruiting. It's just a different name for recruiting again. Like it's still recruiting. It is. And then paired with the recruiting is the subtle but consistent pressure to tithe. So Mm -hmm. starting in the teen ministry, the teens and the campus, that even if you don't have steady income, like where are you getting money from? What do you have? Did your parents give you any money? And if they did, you need to learn how to devote some of that to God because tithing is not an issue of what you have. It is a heart issue. And if when you have little, you, you will not give, 
once you receive more, your heart will still be selfish and you won't give. And Mm -hmm. so you're going out to get people, but then you're also teaching them that they must give. And so here's now the monetary aspect of the MLM. It comes in and Also, when you are studying the indoctrination process, the Bible studies to become part of the church, the last one is it's called the church study, which is basically what they will expect of you as a member backed by scripture. And one of them talks about how when you don't give to God, you are robbing God. And that is, that's the word in the scripture that you rob God. And so it's like, (laughs) do you want to steal from God? That's what you do when you don't tithe. What? (laughs) Like, that's just like the God tax. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's so wild because It's so funny. It was the anti-MLM community that helped me to start seeing a lot of the similarities. You know, wait a second. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're all doing this for Jesus. But I noticed people who who are really good recruiters, who recruit the most, move up very quickly. But I thought we were supposed to be about being spiritual, following Jesus, who has the knowledge to help a person really follow Jesus. But no, it's whoever recruits the most. They get all of this praise. So a lot of what you're doing is trying to get back this uh, acceptance that you had at one point, right? From these people who love bombed you in the beginning. Now you realize that that love and acceptance comes with how well you comply and especially how well you recruit. I mean, I would laugh that people in MLMs, not going to lie, I was part of a Facebook group called Sounds Like MLM, But Okay. It was thousands of people in there. Um, Solid group. (laughs) Yes, solid group. I was in there for years. And then people started making YouTube content. And it wasn't until I started seeing the reaction videos of the Zoom calls, of the training calls that I, I was like their training calls sound like our D times. We would have these things called discipling times where you bear your soul and you just get yelled at. And it was the same thing that I was seeing in these MLM Zoom calls. The toxic positivity, the shutting down, the thought stopping techniques whenever you shared something that didn't feel right. The telling you that it was really just your pride. It was really just your doubt. You don't have enough faith. It was a lot of the same stuff. And I was like, what is happening right now? Mm. I can take this same meeting and apply it to the same context in this church. I was like, am I in a pyramid scheme? (laughs) Yeah. And I heard your interview recently, Roberta, on Dr. Romani's podcast. And you were talking about the emotional manipulation of like, finding your real why and that like if you're not crying you're not in touch with like the true why of why you're doing this and Mm -hmm. so that would be something that they would do in the bible study series when it comes time to talking about sin and the story of the crucifixion and repentance that they really try to take you to this vulnerable place of like think of the most shameful thing you've ever done, the thing you thought that you could never be forgiven for, the thing you're most ashamed of and that you need the most forgiveness for. And Jesus died for that. And he's willing to wash that away, you know, if you will, 
basically accept the terms and conditions. And then throughout your discipleship, the rest of your life, not always, but occasionally, whether from the front as a sermon or in a personal D time, if you maybe start to get too lackadaisical, they will remind you, like, do you remember everything Jesus has saved you from? Like, so don't think about it as what do you have to do for Jesus? Think, what wouldn't you do for Jesus yeah. that he would save you from that? And I, I think that's their equivalent of remember your why. Yeah. They would, a, a phrase they would always use is, remember you said Jesus is Lord. If you said you didn't want to do something that they wanted you to do, it's like, you said Jesus is Lord and you're, you're immediately brought back like a prisoner of war. Like I did. So, and you're so afraid of sounding like that's what you're taking back. So all someone will have to say is you said Jesus is Lord. This sin, it put Jesus on the cross. And you're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you just never want to hear those words again. It's just wild to me mm-hmm. that they use sin, which they say, I mean, we're talking about this cult. We're not talking about Christianity because this is like a very like filtered, filtered, filtered version, but everybody sins. Like that's one of the Mm -hmm. first things that you learn is that everybody sins and it's a part of life and Jesus died for your sins and you've asked for forgiveness and you are forgiven kind of thing, but to constantly throw it in your face while they're actively breaking the law with their sins and harming children stealing people's money, giving people PTSD, abusing them, trafficking them. Mm -hmm. And then they look at you and they're like, you better repent. You better repent on Sunday. Jesus died Mm -hmm. for you. You better be grateful because he died for you. And you're just like, whoa, okay. I am. I'm grateful. He's Lord. Wow. It is so manipulative. It is Mm -hmm. so unchristian too. Mm -hmm. Yes. I know it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot. What do you guys know about these allegations of abuse and trafficking? Like, did you see anything? Were you around when any of these things were happening? So we were not around with these things that are in the article at all. I think they happened, the people who are coming forward, at least, it happened in the 90s, like I just joined in 99 in Nikita in 2007. However, I do remember this guy has his own Wikipedia page, Kip McKean. He's the one who started this group. I do remember a lot of stuff going on with Kip McKean and him having to take a sabbatical and all these letters being written from leaders back and forth and arguing. Um, So that's mostly what I remember. So I don't know about any of these allegations, but what I do understand is that This is an environment where definitely something like that would thrive. It's an environment where you as the lower level, you know, member of this organization is expected to lay down your life literally every single day and have no life outside of this organization or, you know, you're not putting the kingdom first. You're not putting God first. And when leaders do stuff, you're not supposed to talk about that. You don't talk about that. And when they, when you do actually have some irrefutable evidence that this was wrong, then all of a sudden they're like, where is your, your grace and mercy? This person is having a hard time or we're working on that. We've been talking about that. There's a completely different scale used for people at the top. 
They are the ones, they're the middleman between you and God, you and Jesus, first of all. If they say something to you and it doesn't sound right, it sounded mean, you are just supposed to focus on the true part. It could be that you're just too prideful, right? Focus on the truth. We're groomed to almost see them at a level of being God. They are the Holy Spirit, really. You know, the Spirit is supposed to guide you, but they're our guide. We don't make any decisions without getting advice. So it's a system that's very top heavy, very top heavy. Even in this house I live in right now, I'm in the process of selling it because even the homes in, I've bought and the places I've lived have been under the approval of my leaders. And so leaving this place, as you can understand, there's a lot of trauma to heal from having a total nervous breakdown spontaneously whenever. <laughs> and my home is a big reminder of that. Like I went to school, I have my career, I worked hard and I'm paying for a home I don't even like because it was under their approval. Wow. So in an environment like that, to learn that there is sexual abuse, not surprising whatsoever. And to see so many churches responses, it's like, yes, this is that place that this would happen and it would be swept under the rug because ICOC has an agenda and they have, they have a persona that they need to put out there. And how can we convince all of these lower level peons to give us all of their autonomy and decision making if they learn that people at the top are behaving this way? We have to hide it. We have to hide it. We have to cover it up. Don't talk about it. It's, it's for the good. It's for the good overall. If, if they know what's going on up here, we'll lose control. That's the environment. I've seen that from day one. I remember coming across the bite model, right? Uh, Steve Hassan's bite model and seeing all of the different categories under behavior control, information, thought. And one of the things was sexual abuse. I said, well, that's the one thing I haven't seen in this place. But I remember thinking, if we have every single thing in this list, what are the chances we don't have that? And then the article came out. I was like, there it is. There it is. So like I just said, I hadn't seen anything. I don't know anything personally, but when you consider the system that is set up, yes. it is not surprising at all. And so, you know, for anyone who's not aware of the article or the allegations, it's that there was sexual abuse and pedophilia going on in the church and that when the leaders were confronted with it, that they hid it. And they defended the abuser I and mean, they even alerted him ahead of time so he could get away before the authorities got involved, which is absolutely disgusting. However, one thing that I do know and that I have heard said from top leaders, even like years ago, apart from this, not even in defense of this, there's a scripture, I can't recall what it is, but it talks about how like, oh, should brother take brother before the law or like before the courts? And it basically talks about how believers should deal with their problems in house and basically not show to quote unquote, the world, people who are not believers that we have issues and we should handle it with grace and dignity amongst ourselves. And so when I've heard that preached and defended on numerous occasions, over the years, when an article like this comes out, I think, oh, I know exactly how this happened. Of yeah. course, they don't want you to go to the police because they can't have anybody in the community thinking that this is going on in the, the precious, holy ICOC. And so then even in our region, we live in Virginia, um, southeastern Virginia, and a couple of 
so there have been waves of allegations coming out, like court documents, cases, I'm not sure the terminology coming out. And one of them, our lead evangelist and his wife are listed as being a part of this as not connected to California, but that they have been made aware of sexual abuse and or pedophilia and have hidden it. And I'm friends with someone, and I'm not sure if this is her listed in the article, but she did tell me that she was in communication with the lawyers because of something that happened here and it was not treated seriously. So it's bi-coastal at this point, California, Virginia, who knows where else. And that in our region's letter, initially their response to the allegations, a statement was put out and they even got up on the pulpit and said, we've never had anything like this happen. We know nothing about this. And so I know at least one person who told me that they went up to the evangelist afterwards and was like, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? How could you say that? And the lead evangelist just said, oh yeah. And then a week or two later, they like released something else to try to clean it up, still not incriminate themselves, but just kind of like on a technicality acknowledge. But then even after that, I know someone personally who went to the evangelist wife and was like, hey, I saw this. What about that? And then she texts me later and says, oh, well, I asked her and she said it's not true. And I believe her. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so, of course, I know what it is to have that cognitive dissonance. And so I don't fault her at all. It took Asha and I so long to get to this place of seeing things clearly and sorting it out and and things like that. So I don't at all fault her, but it's just frustrating to hear like someone went to her and she just lied. When I know she's been in communication with an elder recently and the elder is like, oh yeah, we've known of X amount of situations that we as leadership handled carefully or, you know, whatever. Just basically acknowledging there's skeletons in the closet. It's and wild so, that they say yeah. they handled it carefully when what they're actually doing is just covering it up, hiding it, shuffling it off to the next, wherever they send these people. Yes. Or, and it's just to hurt and harm other children. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not even to mention the the domestic violence situations Mm -hmm. that get brought forward and the women get shamed. Oh, I've seen that. I have, there aren't any articles, but I've, I've absolutely seen that. Is this why you need to be forgiven every week? Because you can't fucking figure it out? So <laughs> no, honestly, every day, don't every let a week day, go yeah. by. If you, you confess something to someone on Sunday and they're like, oh, this happened on Monday. Why did you wait so long? You must yep. not have really been convicted. Why didn't you call me sooner? Like, oh, you, you better be confessing every day. And oh, but in some way. Can... have the kind of sins you need to confess every day is a massive red flag. Yeah. 
It really and then if you is. don't think that you do, then your big sin is pride, which is really evil because that's the root of all. It's the sin that makes Satan Satan. Yeah, so if you don't pride. even think that you sin that much, then you're just really prideful. And we'll watch out if you're prideful. And I think it's like what I heard in some anti-MLM content, right? It's the MLM community is big on self-development. If you're constantly focused and hyper-focused on yourself, you just can't see what's really going on around you. You can't see it. If you're constantly feeling condemned, feeling terrible, I have to work on myself, I have to work on myself. If you're told that every little thing you do is a sin and you're constantly thinking about that 24-7 without an ability to relax, how can you really see the big picture of what's being done to you? That's how we are. We're frantic. We are frantic people constantly trying to make sure that we are doing what we need to do to be worthy of heaven. We are constantly being bombarded with anything can be sin. Anything can be sin. And you're wondering, am I doing this too much? Have I made this an idol? I don't know. I should be sharing my faith today, but I watched two episodes of this on Netflix. I'm really enjoying drawing on my iPad. Oh my God, is my iPad an idol now? And so you're always like this. So it's to keep you so focused on yourself so that you don't see what's going on. And just to illustrate that point, on one of our recent videos, someone who I do care for dearly commented on my video of how I think it was the one about racism in the church. And their comment was essentially, where does forgiveness fit in? When can we forgive and move forward? And so I said, you know, when people come to my platform, I prefer to talk more about healing than being worried about forgiveness. Like, let's talk about what's been done to people and how they're hurting. And then we can decide if, when, and how they want to forgive. And the great thing about not being someone's moral compass is that we don't even have to tell them what it looks like to forgive. Like, isn't that great that that's not your business? <laughs> so, but just to show that like, he's watching this and really wrestling and taking it in and he's doing a lot of work, right? To have his eyes open. But as he watches these things, he's still like, but how can we forgive? It's like, fuck that. Like, how, how can you be healed? Yeah. Where is it? We preach about accountability, but where is it? When something egregious happens, we should have love in our hearts for them. Yeah. Yeah. But heaven forbid you don't tithe your 10%. You're a sinner. Wow. And you know what pisses me off too? Because I know that I have incredible friends who are incredible Christians who don't fall into any of this kind of stuff and don't believe any of this stuff, who really are just wonderful, beautiful people who love Jesus and live their lives that way. And this kind of shit infuriates me that they have to constantly protect themselves and defend themselves because there are harbingers of actual evil in their Mm -hmm. midst, right? Wearing the sheep's clothing saying, no, I'm part of your flock. And they're constantly being like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. I apologize for the sexy white Jesus Mm -hmm. Christians. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not like that. It, It pisses me off that actual wonderful, beautiful Christians have to defend themselves from this culty bullshit every day. Yeah. That really, really upsets me. Yeah. So yeah. what is your guys's relationship with Jesus like now? If, if that's too much of a question, I completely understand it. But if you would like to share, I would love to hear. I think it is completely being deconstructed for the longest time. So I guess it's been about two years now of leaving this organization. I couldn't even look at the Bible. I couldn't even think about looking at a scripture, 
or thinking about Jesus in that way, it was triggering because one thing I realized is that the whole way I read the Bible was painted with a certain brush. There's a certain lens. You're reading a scripture and you're interpreting it to mean this. And then you realize it never meant that. That's not the context of this at all. It's so funny. We were talking with one of our friends, Rebecca, and she was like, it's amazing looking at the scriptures now. And the very thing that Jesus is saying, don't do, his words were used to say that this is what you should be doing. So you're using his words against a certain concept to say, yes, do this concept, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's that's That's the level of twisting of the scriptures. And so it's been just taking time to unravel, unravel the lies. There was a lot of uncertainty. When you're a part of this group, you are certain that you are the one true church who really understands God. You think you have stock in God, stock in Jesus. When you study the Bible with ICOC, anybody out here, if you're studying with them right now, or you're thinking about studying with somebody in ICOC, the goal of those studies are to convince you that everything you know about God has been wrong your whole life. And only with them right now, are you receiving the truth? Everything before them is a lie. Yeah, what? I actually have screenshots and I screenshotted it because I didn't know if this woman would go back and delete our message thread after she saw that I was pumping out content. So I screenshotted it. Yes. Uh, And this is years (laughs) old, years old. I go back and of course, it's so weird to look at. She never responds, but I just keep messaging her updates and like stats. And in a couple of the messages, I'm like, oh, I have three Bible studies set up this week. And all three of the girls this week, they all believe they're Christians. When I studied with them last week, two of them were convinced by the end that they were not in fact, and they want to keep studying. One of them still is holding on and thinks. So maybe I need your wisdom to help her you know, see how she's not a true disciple of Christ or just something like that. But basically the gist is like, I did a good job. I convinced these two girls that mm-hmm. they're not in fact Christians, but there's this one who's really prideful and religious and she's hanging on. So I need help converting her or convincing her that she is not in fact a Christian like she thinks she is. Yeah, <laughs> It's so, it's so like, you talk about yeah. cringe. I was it's like cringe in the worst way because it's not just like awkward making up a dance to Britney Spears in your room cringe. It's like I was trying to take over someone's life. And wow. so yes, there you go. So there is anger and trauma I'm processing, but also deep in my subconscious and my nervous system, I'm scared because I have believed this for so long that I like I don't even know where I stand anymore. What am I sure of? I think one of the things I'm learning is walking with God is a journey and there are mistakes and there are ups and downs but he is with me forever. That's what I'm learning now. It's a journey. It's not about getting it right right now or I go to hell. It is a journey and I think that's what I'm learning. So it's very complex but it's it's filled with trauma. So it is it is a complicated relationship. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, and I described it like this a couple years ago, and I just said, I just feel like right now I'm kind of frolicking in a field spiritually. I don't really have a destination and I don't know what's going on really, but I'm just enjoying not being in a box. Mm-hmm. not being in a cage. And I'm enjoying the fact kind of like what Asha said, that if I make a mistake, I don't have the fear that mm-hmm. if I die right now, that God is going to be like, you sinner, 
you can't even be here. And then I'm in like this fun space of even deconstructing my idea of hell. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if that's a lot for anyone who's listening, but that's a fun journey yeah. uh, to even think like, maybe there's not even hell and that's exciting. <laughs> I'm just enjoying learning how big God is oh, yeah. and in the best way possible, gray. Like we're taught he's black or white, light or dark, holy or unholy, sin Mm -hmm. or virtue. And I'm like, God is so gray. There's so much that's like, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And I love that. I love that so much that I get to move in freedom and in confidence that things can just be di- like, imagine that I get to make my own choice. And <laughs> even if I make a mistake, it's not necessarily sin. I just get to learn and grow. Yes. Like, I love that. I love also not being someone's quote unquote discipler and having to have an opinion or conviction about someone else's life. Like that I don't have to sit down from someone and pretend to be indignant about like, what? You're not going to go to church or Bible talk, like, and find somewhere in me the fact that this is awful when I don't think it is, but God forbid the leaders find out I don't think it is. So, because if you give advice that's not approved, then you also, you get corrected. Like I've received phone calls about giving too progressive of advice. Yeah, Nakia, um, I would I would never have. I was such a good, good disciple. <laughs> Which is why I have so much trauma right now. <laughs> so much PTSD. Um, so yeah, it is, it is wild. I was thinking of something. The whole thing about it being that I can walk with God, make mistakes. It doesn't mean that I'm in sin, gonna go to hell. God is so great. We're taught very specifically that the Bible is literally God's words, right? And you have to know it to get into heaven. And we're given this example of, imagine you're going to take a test and you didn't study the book and you fail the test and you go tell the, you know, the professor or the teacher, hey, I just, I didn't know it. I didn't know I was supposed to study this chapter. And they're like, "Mm, sorry, you know, you still fail. And they give us this example that that's what God is going to do. At the end of the day, you're held accountable for every single word in this book. So you are taught to fear this book, that you have to know everything. And then once you uh, give in to that idea, what you don't know is they're twisting it. They're twisting it. So you have all of this fear mongering behind everything that they're, the ideas they're pushing. That's what makes it so effective. So you're like, of course I'll do that. I'll read the book and I'll be good. And then they're like, oh, you're not reading it right. Actually, this means this, and this means this. And then you're like, what? It does? So you're really afraid, right? And so you now are given all of your decision-making, your thoughts, everything. You're like, yes, you must know what I don't know. Teach me. Please teach me. That's where the control comes in. It's so effective. And it's so sad. I can't tell you how many people have reached out since Asha and I have started telling our story to say something to the effect of either they're they are afraid if they leave that they will go to hell or when they left, if they've already gone, when they've left the organization that for a long time, sometimes even years that they would be fearful of like, Oh my gosh, if I die right now, I'm going to hell. And so even for myself for months, maybe even a year after I left, it's like, I would feel good in my freedom 
but every so often it would be like a cold shudder down my back of like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. I left. I'm really going. And I would have to kind of like talk myself out of that dark, fearful place. But that is how deep the indoctrination goes. Wow. I mean, everything that I've been told in my life is that God is love and love is pure. Right. And so the idea of this like vengeful God that like wants to see you fail and like hates you secretly is like such an odd thing to form a religion around. Like it's obviously very much culty and control and like it's used to create power and control for people who would not normally have either of those things over people. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the hard yeah. part. Like I wake up and I'm like, who? I sometimes, you know, I just wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just so angry. And I'm like, I don't, I didn't even know these people. <laughs> like I did, they did not raise me. They are not my grandparents. And they just took 21 years of my life and made me subjected to their ideas and thoughts of what my life should look like. How did they do that? I don't even know you. I just get so upset, you know, but yeah. it, it was that manipulation of the Bible day by day day by day every day day. 21 years and that's why meeting with them is so important in that church study Nikita was talking about one of the things you're taught is that the church is the body of Christ right he's the head Jesus is the head and the church is his body so you can't be you can't be connected to the head (laughs) if you're not part of the body and so that gets drilled in there. And they look at, you know, at first Corinthians 12 about, you know, we need each other. We need each other. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And so they really drill in this whole thing. There is no lone wolf. There is no relationship with God on your own. So you become very dependent upon this group and they really solidify the fact that you need to be where the body is. That is modern day following Jesus. So they're very, very strict about you meeting together regularly all the time. And what you're doing is being constantly brainwashed. So when you said slowly over time, I'm like, you have no idea. It is like every day, every day you have your Bible talk groups and you have your midweek, then you have discipling times, you have leaders meeting, then you have Sunday service. You don't have a life outside of this group. I have a friend who was a nurse and she will work nights sometimes, Saturday nights, and she would get off and you understand being a part of this church, you still need to come to church, whether you're tired or not. And she would pull into the driveway of Target close to where the church was and and sleep there so that she could still go to church. And one day it just kind of hit her like, I'm just too tired to go. Now that's dangerous in and of itself, right? Sleeping in a Target parking lot wasn't the best area for this region where we were meeting. And uh, the leader of the singles ministry Me and her got baptized around the same time. She was in there for 20 years as well. And it just hit her. I've been so faithful. I've never missed anything. I go so hard for this church. I just want this one Sunday not to have to go in and go home and get some sleep. And she called the women's ministry leader. And the women's ministry leader was like, well, what do you usually do? Like, this isn't your first time working at night. What do you usually do? And she was like, I usually sleep in the Target parking lot and just force myself to come in. But I'm still tired. I want to go home. And she was like, I don't see what's different about this time than other times. I I mean, I don't get it. Why can't you just come in? It is a no-no to miss meetings because that's how you get that constant brainwashing. When you're able to take a break and process, that's when they lose their control. 
I have so many episodes where people were like, well, I went to school and so I couldn't go to the meetings or I moved and so I couldn't go to the meetings or I started dating someone and so I wasn't going as often. And that was the crux of them being like, wait a second. Yep. Because it's that constant indoctrination. The second you hear something outside of the circle that makes you question everything, it's over. Yes. It's over. So they have to keep you in and tight and believing their bullshit. Yes. For as long as they possibly can, because they need that 10%. They need that, you know. Yes. Bringing people in. You got to shepherd everybody into the flock so that you can rise up into the pyramid cult. Like, I mean, wow. And you can't take a break. We have got to keep this standard up here. We have got to make you believe that you cannot miss meeting with us because that's where the control is. Is it because Mm -hmm. we're saving the planet? Yes, actually. (laughs) Of course, Roberta. (laughs) Those people don't go to hell. Can't stop because you're saving the planet. That's what Scientology does too. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are saving Yeah, we're told there's no plan B. There's There's no no plan plan. B. It's just us. Jesus left and he left us. And if it it weren't us, if we were not supposed to save people, as soon as we got baptized, we would just be taken to heaven. But there's a job for us to do. So we remain here. Yep. This is your life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's really funny to say out loud from the other side, but people preach this unironically. No, of course. And speaking of the indoctrination, a special tidbit that I'll say since we're on your podcast, Roberta, (laughs) I've never shared this publicly. It is so humiliating (laughs) for like a month, maybe two, but like a month, I think I was in Amway. Um, (laughs) I was, my brain was going to explode during the time that it was overlapping because I was like, do I share the good news of Amway or do I share the good news of Jesus? If I don't share about Amway, I don't really want freedom in my life. And I don't really want other people to have freedom in their life. But is there any greater freedom than Jesus? Mm -hmm. And I have to go to church. But if I don't go to the Amway meetings, then I'm not serious about building my own (laughs) business. I was like, so you follow my personal content. You'll know I had a, a narcissistic mom and she passed away and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, uh, take it how you want to take it. At the right time, she died. And so I was like, I can't come. My mm-hmm. mom died. And then I just ghosted them and never went back. Like, I'm still grieving and just never talked to them again. And I was yeah. like, oh, God, I got out of that. And then, of course, when I'm distanced, I'm able to see. And this is before I knew I didn't know what MLMs were. I didn't know. And so then over time, I'm like, that's what I was in. And that <laughs> happened. And that had, I'm so glad I got out. But yeah. then I was still in a cult that I didn't realize for a couple more years. Well, I will tell you of all the MLMs that sexy white Jesus loves the most, it's definitely Amway. That one. It's because yeah. I'm God's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Amway's God's favorite MLM. <laughs> I actually just confessed to Asha like a week ago that I was in Amway because I know how much she hates MLMs. I was like, I've been hiding something from you. I don't know if I confessed to you that I was in Mary Kay for like a week. (laughs) It all comes out. Those are two of like the secret. Oh my God. I was a part of that MLMs that people are always like, did you know I was, I sold, um, I sold Mary Kay for like a month. I was like, what? Like it happens all the time. So it's so funny that it comes up oh here my too. Gosh. It, the Venn diagram is a circle. So yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. 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 
They all go together. I'm so glad I, I got that off my chest. <laughs> it's so funny though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I've got an episode. There's always an episode about Amway on the show. Somehow Amway always comes up. <laughs> Even when it's not about Amway, Amway's like, remember me? <laughs> It doesn't disappoint. It's made its way into the ICOC podcast. Who would have thought? (laughs) But ICOC is full of women in MLM. I think they they just love churches. And um, it's comfortable too, because it's the exact same thing, except you're selling something. Well, I guess you're kind of selling Jesus, but you're selling something that's not Jesus. Yep. And it's the same environment, the love bombing, the I'm going to this conference. We have these conferences too. You know, with ICOC, there's always some conference you're going to. And I'm looking at anti-MLM content. I'm like, oh, my God. That's what these were. The conferences are just, you know, big emotional events to get you fired up and excited. It's just a very concentrated indoctrination. And I was like, oh, that's what we were doing. I remember I had just had my son a couple. He was probably like three months old. And then we had a big conference here. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go to this conference with this baby? You know, and they were like, oh, just come, just come for the fellowship. There was never once anyone said, yeah, you have a new baby, don't come. You have to go. And I'm learning the same thing about MLMs is like, you have to go or you're shamed. And that's what it was. And I remember in the Virginia Beach Conference Center, just sitting in the lobby with my two and a half year old and my new baby, because it's not like they had classes or areas from others, but you just have to go because if you don't go, then what are you doing? And I'm just sitting in the lobby because I have to feed this baby. I have to keep this two-year-old. My husband is serving the teen ministry. So I'm by myself because, you know, you, the more you serve, the more points you get, you know, (laughs) and we're doing everything except focusing on our two little kids, the most important thing. And no one is encouraging us to do that because that they don't want you to think that. You have to think that whatever it is that we have in store for you is more important, even than your children. Surrender your children over to Jesus. And this is step one of how you do it, by allowing them to suffer. And it was probably the second day of the conference and I'm sitting in the lobby again and my little two-year-old is just running back and forth. She doesn't know what to do. And I finally was like, oh, I'm going to go home. <laughs> it just did not. <laughs> it didn't I was like go home let your children be at home with their toys be there where you can comfortably nurse your son go home why are you here I paid all this money to sit in the lobby and people were fine with that because I was there and that is the most important thing to them why because they keep you indoctrinated no matter what yeah yeah so how's it feel to be out and deconstructing religion and reconstructing yourself It is, I feel like I'm living a double life at this point. And it's so interesting to make the the content and be on different podcasts at this point, because I feel like you can look back and it's like a a timeline of development. I feel like I'm hardly ever saying the same thing (laughs) twice, but at this stage, it is like a double life. So inside of myself, I've never felt more at home, empowered, because uh, remember, I didn't even get that from my mom. And so I'm just discovering what I like, what I don't like, finding my voice to say no, doing what I want with my time, not doing what I don't want with my time, not living in a constant state of shame and guilt. And so I love that. But then on the other side, there are some very real structures and systems that are in my life 
that I have put up because of my time in the church, the organization, you know, how Asha said the house she lives in, which thankfully she's moving out of now, but there are things like that in my life. And in the real world, you can't just snap your fingers and be like, I didn't want all of it, go away. Like I want it all to be different now. And so there's a quote by James Baldwin and I, I might butcher it, but he says something to the effect of to be a, an aware black person in America to, is to be in a constant state of rage or like, you know, to be cognizant of what's going on really. And I feel like spiritually, that's now kind of, kind of how I feel in my life that it's like, wow, look at the decisions that I've made. Look at what I've allowed to go on. Look at what I have to rebuild or get myself out of because of what I did and who people perceive me to be that now I'm either, you know, cutting off or having to redefine what's going on. And so it's like, I am getting bigger, but some areas of my life is still small. And so that can be challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I love that sentiment. I I think that's, if you're not angry, then you probably aren't paying attention to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things that don't even affect me that as I learn them, I get very angry in an allied space to be like, what? And I just, I think it's so important to talk about those things because we should be keeping our eyes open. We should be making those connections. We should be feeling some rage when we realize what it really is and not just be like, Mm -hmm. oops, I didn't even know. Like, it should be like, I'm sorry, what did you just say to me? Like it really Mm -hmm. should feel that way. And if it's not, maybe you're not digging deep enough and finding all those connections because I'm telling you, it is like a red yarn spider web in Mm -hmm. here of like connections to everything. And the more conversations I have with people from every walk of life, the more I'm like, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. It is. And I did want to thank you very much, Roberta, as you reference an allied space, because so much, whether in the narcissism community or in the cult community, Asha and I don't necessarily always get to see ourselves represented. And I have had other people of color to reach out and say, like, thank you, or to even share the sentiment of like, it's embarrassing as a Black person or, you know, whatever, because we don't often get to see ourselves as like, people who got taken advantage of in an MLM or in a cult, but we're there. And so I just appreciate the opportunity to come forward and share our story on a platform that's as wide reaching as yours, because there is just so much stigma and going back and having to apologize and acknowledge you know, what it really was and to admit, like, I had my vulnerabilities exploited and I'm sorry I acted this way or did that. And, you know, I just, along with narcissism and not necessarily having all the warm fuzzies for your mom, it's definitely my goal to be able to, you know, how they say, to say the quiet part out loud (laughs) and say, come out everybody, all of my people, you know, let's, let's not hide in shame and secret. So I just thank you so, 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 so much for sharing your space with us. Absolutely. That is why I built this, you know, like I'm not the voice to tell every story, but luckily I am very, very blessed and privileged to have a platform like this and to keep it to myself, I think would be a disservice because I think it's really important to tell these stories. 
And I try to be an ally in as many spaces as I don't identify in as possible, because I think it's really important, you know, and it's not hard to be an ally and just be like, I see you, I'm standing there with you and I'm going to help you. And, and the best that I possibly can, even if I don't know what I'm doing, I think just even standing up is the first step. And it's not the hardest step. It's a pretty easy step to just stand up and say, I care about you. Like you're my sister. We are humans together. Let's be here in this space together and and make something beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, that I appreciate means a lot. you guys so much. And that's the other thing. Like when I was, uh, the presentation that I did for the MLM conference, like for me, this space is so diversified, even though statistically it is mostly white and mostly women. It is so diversified mm. and you're seeing people of color. You're seeing men, you're seeing trans community. You're seeing the LGBT community come in and it's like, it's everybody. It affects yeah. every single person because all you yep. need to be is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And you know, I thank you guys so much for coming and talking to me. Do you want to do some rapid fire questions about the ICOC? Sure. That sounds fun. Okay. So give me one word that encompasses how you feel about the ICOC. Burn. Evil. (laughs) What is a warning to somebody who's listening? Because you know, there is somebody listening who's either in or on the fence about joining and is thinking this is a good idea. Run is the word that comes to my mind a lot. Run. Run was mine. I think I would say think for yourself. Yes. We're going to go with the MLM question. What's the worst MLM in your opinion? Ooh. It's so funny. I have thought they all were the worst. I know. They all are. (laughs) They all. I think, oh, one of them that was very pervasive was Monate. I felt like that came after the millennials hard and the young people and made them all mean, weird girls. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Made them all mean, weird girls. Mm -hmm. In ICOC, because it's an MLM. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think I would go with Amway or Mary Kay, just because they're the secret sexy ones, the more normalized ones. So people don't really know. It's like, oh, that's legitimate. Yep. What is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in ICOC? Ooh, that's a good one. I think for me, the hardest was learning that I can listen to myself, that I can trust myself because you are so programmed not to that listening to yourself is actually a sin and it's unwise. And so even still today, Asha and I were just having a conversation last week about how someone was treating me poorly. And Asha was like, open your eyes, Nikita, (laughs) the red flags are everywhere. Like this is something I'm still actively learning. So I think that listening to myself and not just thinking someone else is more qualified to advise me. Yeah. I think for me, it's definitely what Nikita just said. That's what was in my head. I was like, I feel like that's a little too deep, but that's exactly it. But also that I matter, that I matter Mm -hmm. as a person, that my feelings, my thoughts, my happiness matters. That's still the hardest lesson for me. Even moving into this brand new house next week, I have this mixture of butterflies because I'm so excited, but also fear, like something's going to happen. I'm going to walk in there and then the house is going to burn down because who am I to go do something or have something that makes me happy? That's still very weird. And it's something I'm still learning. 
Mm-hmm. And then give me the positive takeaway from your time in ICOC. Mm. Like something positive that came from the ICOC? Or something you learned about yourself or <laughs> someone you met or something good mm. that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't gone through this horrible thing. Ooh. I would I- say my friends. Yep. Yeah, uh, my friends that we came together and were able to to truly validate and empower each other. I just, I love them. And I think they're cool people. I think we would have been friends even outside the ICOC, but without the ICOC, I don't know that we would have found each other. So. Yeah. And I think a huge thing that I actually said this other day, I hate toxic positivity or saying these things happen for you. I do not like that, but (laughs) I felt the other day, like the awareness of manipulation and coercive control and toxic people is so heightened. It feels like a superpower. And I feel like this ability to share what we're learning now, to be on your podcast, Mm -hmm. to warn other people, to validate people in ways that other people don't think. They're like, oh, you just don't give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, exactly. Don't give people the benefit of the doubt. That's not what you do. You are attributing positivity to a person you know nothing about and you do not trust people. A lot of people don't hear that because that's considered negative. (laughs) You're negative, Nancy, you know, but we get to stand in this place and say, you are not wrong for protecting yourself. You are not wrong for listening to your thoughts and your ideas and noticing red flags. You do not have to feel guilty because you don't do something you're not comfortable with. Forget all of that. So it's just being a force that understands the way manipulative, toxic people work. And I get to pass that down to my children. That's huge. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Like being able to see the nuance in life and use it as a superpower. Mm -hmm. Like the the middle zone of gray. Yeah. So many people live in a black and white and I Mm -hmm. see it all the time. I'm like, you know, there's more than two choices, right? (laughs) it's not this or that like there's so many other things you can be and do and see and try yes yes they don't know I I tell you I'm just learning (laughs) yeah and I love the opportunity to be able to share too because there are so many people who have come before us and I mean I don't I don't know. I don't know, you know, what was done in the spirit realm when it was decided Asha and I would take this course, but I just think of, you know, the Taylor Swift song, look what you made me do. And I'm just like, y'all chose the wrong ones. Like we, we were once bewitched, but now that we know you have chosen the wrong ones and we are now on a mission to expose. Yeah. Thank you both so, so, so much. Please tell us where we can find you. And I will add everything in the show notes so everybody listening can follow along. Yeah. So I try to make it simple for everybody. It's just my first and last name at Nikita Lambert on TikTok, on Instagram. You can search me on YouTube, Nikita Lambert. And if you're interested in more you know, information about the ICOC, you can type in Nikita Lambert ICOC series. Um, I also have some other content around, you know, growing up with a narcissistic mom and healing from that and, and things of that nature. I have a website, NikitaLambert.com. If you want to get on my mailing list, I say, I, I try not to be spammy at all. And I don't really ask you for anything. I just give little reflections and tips and things that I'm learning. And so, yeah, anywhere you want to find me, just, just type in my first and last name. I make it very easy. And 
after leaving ICOC, I kind of abandoned all of my personal social media. It was, like I said, it was a very traumatizing time. One thing I did start is a website and an Instagram page called Joyfully Paperless. And it's all about journaling, inspiration, planning, self-care, and doing it all on the iPad. It's fun. It's very artistic and creative space. And that's how I have dealt with a lot of my trauma. So Joyfully yeah, paperless. Smash that follow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Aww. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Roberta. Thank you so much for having us. This is such an honor. I'm, I'm a fan. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.